Mark chapter 11. (laughs) I already forgot from the first service. Mark 11. And I'm going to catch up with you there in a moment. I'm going to read a psalm that you're all familiar with. I'm not going to read the whole thing, just the first part of the psalm. So you don't have to turn there, but just listen to it. Again, you all know it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law or the word of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Listen, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose Leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Father, we pray as we pick up where we left off last week in Mark chapter 11. We pray, Lord, as we always do, that you would give us understanding, that you might teach us, Lord, please. Pray, I pray for myself that you would give me the words. I pray that I'd be able to articulate in such a way that it's understood And that we would all have ears to hear what your spirit has to say to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, if it goes as it did yesterday, I have till 1130. And then it's going to get really loud in the sanctuary. And so I'm going to try to go quickly. Uh, Good luck, right? But anyway, you know, guys, as we're going through... Mark's gospel, uh, I want to remind you that, that, that last week, you know, we see Jesus make his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And at face value, it appears that um, things are very fruitful. Um, very fruitful. I mean, the people are waving palm branches and they're singing and they're taking their, their clothes off the disciples and laying them on the colt of the donkey and some are putting their clothes on the road before the donkey. And, and it would seem, at least at face value, that there was much fruit. Look at the people. Look how they're responding. Isn't this wonderful? And then, of course, Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and then immediately he goes into the temple. He looks around and he leaves. Um, there was the incident with the fig tree, of course. We can't forget that. The fig tree, he goes up on the fig tree because of the green leaves. He expected not to find figs because it wasn't fig season, but to find the little edible buds on the fig tree that are usually there when you have the, the, the large green leaves. And, of course, there was nothing there. There was no fruit to be found. And so Jesus curses the fig tree. And I suggested to you last week, if you were here, that Jesus was not just having a bad day, there was something more significant to the cursing of the fig tree. The fig tree, I think, uh, represents Israel. He's looking for fruit. He's looking for fruit, and he finds no fruit. He finds no fruit on the fig tree, and so he curses the fig tree. He goes into the temple, and he cleanses the temple. This is a place which was called to be the Lord's house of prayer. I mean, this is where all nations would come and they would be able to pray 
It would be not only a place of worship for the, for the Jews, but it would also be a beacon of light to the Gentiles. And he goes in there, and what does he find? He finds merchants selling uh, uh, you know, animals for sacrifice at a higher rate. He finds money changers changing the shekel into the temple currency, and he's upset. He throws the tables over. He drives them all out of the court, and we're told that he doesn't allow anyone to pass through there any of the merchants to pass through there. He's looking for fruit. He finds no fruit. He cleanses the temple. And then we get to our text today, verse 25. But whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Follow this. In prayer, if there is no forgiveness, there's no fruit. Prayer without forgiveness, prayer that's holding a grudge, prayer that's unwilling to do what's been done to you. I mean, if you're a child of God, you've been forgiven of your sins. We have no right to carry a grudge. The Lord expects us to be forgiving toward those. When we're forgiving, we're bearing fruit. The text goes on, verse 27. And they came to Jerusalem, came again to Jerusalem, and as he, Jesus, was walking in the temple, the chief priest and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? No doubt these things would refer to the cleansing of the temple. That's what they were referring to. By what authority are you doing these things? Even though Jesus already told them by what authority he was doing these things, do you remember? Last week, as he quoted Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, and you've made it a den of robbers. In other words, the answer, it's my house. It's my house. Well, they asked the question, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority to do these things? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask one question, then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven? Was it uh, originated from God or originated from man or from man? Answer me. And they reasoned among themselves. Now note this. They obviously had an opinion, but they reasoned among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not um, believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people, for all counted John to have been a prophet indeed. So they answered and said to Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus answered and said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Listen, guys, Jesus was not avoiding their question. He was not, uh, you know, kind of putting it off and saying, I don't want to play this game. Jesus was seeking to stimulate their thinking. The thinking, I think, goes something like this. If John was from God, you should have followed him. He was a messenger from God. You should have accepted him. You should have received him. But rather, you rejected him. And eventually he was handed over to Herod and put to death. If he's not of God, then, you know, 
why were all the people going out? Why did all the people consider him to be a prophet of God? Jesus was implying that the same authority that John the Baptist had when he came preaching as a forerunner of the Messiah, Jesus has that same authority. He comes from that same authority, the authority of the Father. So we have this, our Lord, the Messiah, he's come to Israel. He's looking for fruit. He wants fruit, and there's no fruit to be found. There's no fruit on the fig tree. There's no fruit in Israel. There's no fruit in the temple. There's merchandise and all sorts of, you know, it became like a swap beat in the, in the courts of the temple there, you know, no fruit. John the Baptist, John the Baptist comes. He's the forerunner. It was prophesied of him that he would come, prophesied by Malachi, prophesied by Isaiah, that he would come as a forerunner of Jesus. He came. They didn't accept him. No fruit. No fruit. Then we get to the parable of the vineyard. Then he began to speak to them. To who? Well, to the religious leaders that came to him. That would be the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. And he began to speak to them in parables. And he said, a man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it and dug a place for the wine vat and built a tower and he leased it to the vine dressers and went into a far country. Now I want to stop there and I want you to keep your hand here in Mark's gospel, but I'd like you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 5. Guys, as Jesus was speaking, there's no doubt that the religious leaders, because they were religious leaders, they, they were no doubt at least reading the scriptures, maybe not applying the scriptures to their life, but they were reading the scriptures. They knew what the scriptures had to say. These were the experts of religion. And uh, as Jesus began to speak this parable, there's no doubt that they knew exactly where he was going. Now, back in Mark, when we get to the end of the parable, we'll see that they knew that he spoke this parable against him, and so they sought to lay hands on him. And the ironic thing, and to do precisely what he just described in the parable. I mean, to the, the, the last note. But no doubt they were thinking of what Isaiah recorded as God led him by his spirit in Isaiah chapter 5. Look at it. It says, Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. And so he expected it to bring forth good grapes. Guys, this is important. Fruit. People always have expectations of God. You're God, therefore you should. Here's my expectations. You don't meet my expectations. I don't know what I'm going to do with you, Lord, eternal God. Creator of all things. I mean, you think about that. 
Now, we would never say such things because if we heard words like that come out of our mouth, we would be embarrassed by the things that are coming out of our mouth. But, but quite often, we act that way. You're God. You better deliver. It's almost as if we're saying, God, we want fruit from you. We want to see fruit that you are who you claim to be. But you know what, guys, when you read the scriptures, and I was just thinking of this today, I was speaking to one of the brothers in the church, and he was just telling me about a trial that he's going through. I'm not going to go into the details, obviously. And uh, just the different perspectives. You know, people, they could go to church, and they could say, well, I, um, I go to this church, and... Uh, and, and we have uh, works at our church, you know, and, and uh, so I'm falling back on the works, even though my lifestyle, the way I conduct myself, the way I carry myself just in my own personal life, has no evidence whatsoever of abiding in Christ, of being a, you know, a Christian who is bearing fruit. So I'm saved by faith alone in the finished work of Christ alone. Now, I believe that. And I teach that. I believe that. But I also believe the Bible. You say, well, where do you get the other? Well, we get that from the Bible. But the Bible has a lot to say about what happens after salvation. The Bible has a lot to say about God's expectations of believers. Do you know that I don't think God has any expectations on non-believers? I mean, what do you expect them to do? Be like non-believers, driven by their own flesh, driven by their own thoughts, driven by their own opinion. That's what non-believers do. But the believer, there's expectation. Why? Because the believer has the spirit of the living God dwelling within him or her. The spirit of God who longs for, don't we see this in James? He longs for dominion in our life. Now we still have the flesh, within us, within each one of us, and it longs for dominion in, in your life. And, and it's almost as if the two are constantly at war with one another, and it comes down to this, which is going to win? And God puts the expectations on us. We don't throw our hands up and say, well, I don't know, you know, I would think that the spirit will end Will, will win in the end. I mean, he is the more powerful one over the flesh. But it really depends on, are we, are we feeding? Are we yielding to the spirit of God? Are we feeding our spirit? You know, not the, the spirit of God, but our, our spirit. Are we, are we yielding in obedience to what God tells us in his word? He has expectations of us. He had expectations of Israel. Now we're in three, two different places. Let me go to a third place. I'll finish all this up, uh, reading all the texts. I've, I've got all these things, but I, I wanted to just read this. This is another parable. You don't have to turn there. You don't have enough hands to turn there. I know, but, but uh, in Luke chapter thirteen, Jesus said, and he also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Well, there's, a, there's a theme here, the fig tree. The fig tree is speaking of Israel, obviously. It's not just a fig tree. 
Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years. How long was Jesus' public ministry? For three years I have come seeking fruit on this tree, on this fig tree, and found none. He says, cut it down. Why does it use use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, sir, let it alone for this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. Listen, God is patient. God doesn't say, listen, if you haven't produced fruit, if you haven't, no, well, we don't produce fruit. We bear fruit, excuse me. That was a misspoken word. If you're not bearing fruit, if fruit is not coming from your life, the Lord doesn't say, that's it. I'm cutting you off. I'm cutting you. <laughs> you know, he's a patient Lord. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He doesn't want any to perish, but he wants all to come to repentance. Well, let me finish up Isaiah. He says, uh, verse 2, he dug it up, cleared out its stones, planted it with choice vines. He built a tower in its midst, and he also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Note that. I think that's interesting. Not done to it, but done in it. The Lord had blessed Israel. The Lord had blessed Jerusalem. The Lord was blessing it, in it, and its people. Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, it Did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please, let me tell you what I'll do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge. That would be like a wall. And it shall be burned. And break down its walls, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain, no rain on it. Look at verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked, look at, he looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. The Lord says, I'm looking for fruit in my vineyard, O Israel. It's my vineyard. The Lord would say, it's not your vineyard, it's my vineyard. I built it, I dug it, I planted it. I placed you in it, allowed you to work it, allowed you to benefit from the blessings, the fruit of it. And all I want, my expectation of you, is that I would receive some fruit. And he wasn't talking about grapes. Guys, the Lord has expectations. There was no fruit. Isaiah chapter 5, no fruit. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 5, the Lord goes on to pronounce judgment on Israel and Judah by the means of eight woes. 
the, a woe, it, it, it speaks of a cry of grief and dread. You know, um, it's not like a Southern California surfer, you know, whoa, dude. It's not that, it's whoa. And we see this, don't we, in the Old Testament, we see it quite often. We see it in the book of Revelation. But there were eight woes. Let me just give you a sampling uh, without reading all the scriptures. He said to them, the judgment's coming. I'm removing the hedge. Judgment is coming on you, O Israel, O Jerusalem, upon your temple and your people. Judgment is coming because there was no fruit. And he says, woe to those who join house to house. And you read it in his context, and it speaks of greed. You're never satisfied. You want more and more and more. And I want that land. I want that land. I want that land. I want that land. I want all the land around me. I don't want to have any neighbors. He says, woe to those who join house to house. And then in verses 11 through 17, he says, woe to those who rise up in the morning that they may follow intoxicating drink. The Lord says, you guys can't even get through the day without something. And then the next woe we see in verses 18 through 19. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as if with a cart rope and say, let him make speed and hasten his work. Their attitude was, what could God do? What's he going to do to us? You know, you become kind of arrogant after a while. You know, no judgment has come toward me, upon me. What's he going to do? He can't do anything at all. And then here's the, another woe, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil and put darkness for light and light for darkness and put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Obviously, this speaks of perverted values, but we live in an age of perverted values. And it's sad that even in the church, people choose to have perverted values about things. You know, we say the lamest things, Christian. Again, if you're a non-believer, I don't have any expectation of you. You could act like a non-believer. But if you're a believer and we, we fall back on the silliest things, you know, because we don't want to be unloving. And I'll tell you, you could love without condoning sin. Do you understand that? It's, it's really not a hard concept. We have lots of people in our lives that we love. We love them with an undying love, but we don't condone their sin. And so we share the gospel with them so that they might repent of their sin and turn to Christ and be set free from their sin. There's this attitude in so many churches. I believe in Jesus. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like, I believe in Jesus. And now I live my life any way I choose. All that matters is that I believe in Jesus. And you wonder where in the world they get that because they're not finding that in the Word of God. In the word of God. Because the Word shows us that God has expectations for his people. Oh, they started early. And it's not wrong for him to have ex expectations of his people. The next woe. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Pride, of course. And then we have woe to the mighty at drinking wine. <laughs> and then the, the eighth. Woe to... To men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. It's almost as if the Lord is saying, I'm looking for the fruit. Where is the fruit, O Israel? 
Where is the fruit? Where are the mighty men, O Israel? Where are the Davids among you, Israel? Oh, they're all drunk. They're all intoxicated. They can't do anything. And the Lord says, woe. Woe unto you. Back to Mark's gospel. A man planted a vineyard and he set a hedge around it and dug a place for the wine vat and built a tower and he leased it to the vine dressers and went into a far country. Now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers, listen, that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers. What do you want? I just want some fruit. I just want some spiritual fruit. I've blessed you. I've hedged you in. I've blessed you in so many ways. Am I asking too much to ask for spiritual fruit from you? And they took him, that is a servant, and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent, oh, he's so patient. And he sent them another servant. And at him they threw stones, wounded him in the head, and sent him away shamefully treated. And again, he sent another. He's so patient. The Lord is so patient. He's so long-suffering to a rebellious and stubborn people. And the Lord says, I'm not willing that any perish, but all come to repent. And we say, well, why don't you just save people? Because God respects our will. Boy, the Calvinists are rolling over now, screaming at me. I could hear them in my head, you know. But he does. He respects our person. Come unto me, he says. He won't force you to come unto him. And again, he sent others and they killed. They killed and many others, beating some and killing some. And therefore, still having one son. (laughs) Jesus, he's telling this parable and he's saying, this is what you've done. This is your track record, O Israel. All that we want is fruit, spiritual fruit. It's not found in the vineyard. It's not found in your courts. It's not found in your prayers. It's not found in your behavior. All we want is spiritual fruit. That's all we're asking That's all we're seeking. That's our only expectation is fruit. Therefore, still having one son, his beloved, he also sent him to them last, saying, they will respect my son. But those vine dressers said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. Therefore, what would the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to another or to others. You say, yeah, I, I get it, Dan. I'm following. That's, that's Israel. Israel. God, during the time of the Babylonians in Isaiah chapter 5, God warned the children of Israel that destruction was coming. And it did come. It's past tense. It's historical from our point of view. The Babylonians sacked Jerusalem destroyed the, the, the city and, and, and the temple and all, you know. And, uh, and that was the Babylonians. Isaiah chapter 5 fulfilled, that, that's it. Jesus, Mark chapter 12, Jesus is talking about another destruction. He's not talking about what the Babylonians were going to do to Jerusalem. He was talking about what the Romans were going to do to Jerusalem. And again, from our perspective, it happened. It happened precisely as the Lord said it would happen, 36 
years, 37 years, excuse me, after Jesus said these things, ascended to heaven, Jerusalem was attacked by the Romans. Not one stone was left upon another. They destroyed, utterly destroyed the temple. The temple has never stood upon that mount since that time. Over 600,000 Jews were killed and, and the rest were dispersed throughout the world. say, what's the point, Dan? Obviously, there's a point to this, and you're thinking there is a point, and the point is this, is that the Lord wants fruit. We say, it's too hard, I can't bear fruit. I can't do it. Jesus tells us how. You guys know where I'm going, don't you? John chapter 15, turn there, please, with me. You, You... You look at what Jesus says about bearing fruit, and it couldn't be easier. I mean, it's like the Lord just says, look, I want to make it as easy as possible for you. And we still gripe about it. Humanity is amazing. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Here in this parable, not to be confused with the vine dressers in the other parable. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away or lifts up. You'll note the word lifts up. What is he doing? He lifts it up, digging around it, giving it air, giving it every opportunity to bear fruit. I almost said produce fruit again. That's wrong. It's never produced. We're not producing. We're bearing. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. And we complain when he prunes us. And he says, I know this hurts, but these things have to go. I want fruit from your life. And these things have to go. You can't be a drunkard. You can't be addicted to pot. You can't be addicted to whatever. You can't be looking at porn. You can't be doing these things. And expect to bear fruit because it can't happen. The plant is dying because you're getting you're getting your joy. You're getting your 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 fullness from something else. We our problem as humans is we're short-sighted. We, you know, and, and, and again, I, you know, well, well, you know, we live in the now. We do live in the now, but we are eternal beings. Believer and non-believer, we are eternal beings. We're not temporal beings. He created us to be eternal beings. I'm sorry for getting emotional, but I... I just I, I feel the urgency of the day in which we live and the the excuses that people come up with and the things that people say and the deception that come from churches. Deceiving people that somehow they think, you know, I'm a believer, I believe in Jesus, and I haven't changed one lick. I drink as much as I used to drink. I smoke pot like I used to smoke pot. I cuss like everyone else because I'm not a man enough 
to be my own man or my own woman. I want to blend in with other people because I don't want them to think I'm weird. It's so strange to me. We're short-sighted, living in the moment. And as, as believers, especially as believers, we need to live with the, you know, what's coming and the blessings and the joy. And I mentioned it at the first service, in his presence, the fullness of joy. We've never even come close to the fullness of joy. And we won't until we're in his presence. But he invites us to be in his presence. He says, you are already clean because of the word. The what? The word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. Here it is, guys. Here's the difficult test. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Isn't that beautiful? Think of that. Jesus says, I want fruit from you. Okay, Lord. What do I need to do? Stay close. Stay close to me. I want you. I want you near me all the time. I want you dependent upon me. I want you to love me with your whole heart as I love you. I just want you near me. And we shake our fist at God, a God that's so loving. And he just beckons us to come and to abide in him. And as we're abiding in him, we have the joy. It's not even our fruit. It's like he just allows fruit to come from our lives. And we look at that. And if we're honest and humble before ourselves, we say, Lord, why are you so good to me? Why? Why do you bless me, Lord? I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And can I, can I hear an amen to that? And if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them, that is the branches, and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. What, Lord? You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified. Look at that. I want fruit, Israel. I want fruit, Christian. By bearing fruit, we're glorifying the Father. That you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Wow. Lord, you are so good. Back in Mark and closing. Verse 10. Jesus said, have you, have you not even read the scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. 
Nate came up and pointed out to me, and I, this is a quotation, by the way, from Isaiah, 5, Isaiah uh, 118. Isaiah 118, the same psalm from which we have the Hosanna, you know, things that were spoken, that were sung during the triumphal entry. So Jesus brings these men, these religious leaders, back to the, the, the Psalm 118, uh, Hosanna Psalm. And Nate pointed out that twice in that psalm, and the verse right before this verse is quoted, the Lord says, I am Yahweh. Now, your Bible says, I am salvation. I am your salvation. I am so. But the, the Greek or the Hebrew word is Yahweh. Am I correct, Lisa? Yeshua. I'm sorry. Yeshua. Yeshua. So, Jesus. <laughs> I am Yeshua. That's the Hebrew rendering of Jesus. Yeshua. It's written in the psalm I am Jesus. I am your salvation. I am the stone which the builders rejected and has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus. Jesus is, is likened to a stone or to a rock many times in the scriptures. We know that Jesus was the rock of provision for the children of Israel as they were making their way through the wilderness. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.4, all drank the same spiritual drink. So he's not talking about just you know, the water, the, but the same spiritual drink. For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Listen, guys, if you if you you are missing out, you're cheating yourself, if you think that Jesus only shows up in Matthew <laughs> and on. It is written about me, Jesus says, it is written about me in the volume of the book. We see him in Genesis 1-1, and we see him throughout the scriptures. Jesus is the stone of stumbling, Peter tells us, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And there are so many people that are offended by Jesus even today, you know. And he says, uh, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Jesus is the rock or the stone that was cut out without hands. Remember Daniel's prophecy or Daniel sees the statue, Nebuchadnezzar sees the statue, and then Daniel interprets the statue, interprets the dream. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he sees this, this rock, the stone, that's not cut out by hands, and it comes and it strikes the feet of the statue. The statue represents the kingdoms of the world in relationship to Israel. So you have the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Grecians, the Romans... And then what we're about to see, the feet and toes, the revived Roman Empire. It is happening today as we, as we meet here. And, and, and so this, this rock, this stone comes out and it strikes the feet of the statue and the statue falls. And it speaks of the Lord's second coming. All human government will be eliminated when Jesus comes back. Listen, guys. God is long-suffering, he's patient, he doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. 
you say, well, I'm, I'm saved, I'm good to go, I'm now just waiting for rapture, you know, we should be going up any minute, you know, any day now. I'll tell you what, if we live that way, we're missing out on the blessing of the last generation Christians. We've been given a task, as every generation of Christians have been given. The task is to tell people about Jesus. I had mentioned at the first service that, you know, during, before we have services, we meet, and anyone's welcome, we just pray for a few moments, but we get together with people that are here, not everyone's here, that's able to serve, and but we'll pray for the morning. We usually pray asking the Lord to move and pray for the children and the children's ministry, their protection. Pray for you guys up here that we would be a, you know, that the Lord would speak to us, that our hearts would be open. And one of our sisters, as she was praying, she was praying for the lost. And as she's praying for the lost, her voice begins to crack and eventually she can't finish her prayer because her voice is gone because she's crying now out to the Lord for the lost. Now, I happen to know that sister very well and as she's praying, no doubt, she's thinking of her own family member and others, but, you know, we all have people. And I was thinking, I was telling the first service that Last week, uh, our family, we did our family vacation. We've been doing this for a long, long time. And, uh, but we were down on the Oregon coast and had a wonderful time. And I was sitting in the lodge where we were staying, and I, was, I, I like to listen to Bible prophecy programs that I always encourage you guys to listen to. If, if you could handle it, I know sometimes it's depressing for people, but to me it's so encouraging to just see how things are falling into place just as the Lord said. See, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We read Isaiah, did it happen? It happened. The Romans, did it happen? It happened. The Lord spoke of things that are yet to happen. Are they going to happen? Yes, they'll happen. Based on what? The fact that this happened and that happened and these happened and all these happened because the Lord has a 100% track record. But I was watching, uh, somehow I came across these videos, and it was someplace, I don't know if it was someplace here in America or someplace in Europe, and it was obviously this city block or whatever that was just given over to people who were addicted to uh, heroin and uh, the other drug that I always forget, uh, fentanyl. I don't know why I don't remember that. And it was so horrific. It, it looked so surreal, and it was one of those things, to be honest, it was like I couldn't look away because it was so disturbing to me and so sad to me. And, you know, they're showing one guy, he had his pant leg up, and he's shooting, shooting up in, in his legs. Obviously, his arms are shot, so you, you get a vein where you can. And, and there was... A woman, just the way her body was moving. I mean, it was moving in the way I would think someone who was demon-possessed might move. And yet they're all addicted to these drugs. And I was watching this video, and then another one, then another one, you know. And, and it was so disturbing to me. There was no sound. 
on it, or maybe I had the sound down, so there was no, there was no words or no message, no music. It was just silence. And I thought, this is not, this is not what God intended at all. In fact, even this world, you know, as I was driving in this morning, I was listening on the radio, and there was a, I don't know who it was, but a a preacher on the radio, and he was saying that this earth is not what God intended. It's not what he created. Um, We live in a fallen earth. And he was talking about some of the conditions of the earth when the Lord first created the earth. And we know that prophetically, those things are going to return during the millennial reign of Christ, you know, a longevity of life, and uh, you don't have to worry about wild beast, you know, goring you to death or eating you or, or something, or snakes, you know, biting your children or anything. And I thought, Lord, help us, because we live in a world and we become so numb to it, you know, And I think as Christians, when we see the junkie on the street corner, rather than having an attitude, well, they've done it to themselves, they get what they deserve. Maybe we should begin to weep and say, oh, Lord, save them. What a life, what a hell, what misery. They are controlled by the devil. It's almost as if, You know, if we could see the invisible hook in their jaws and the devil just saying, over here, idiot. Go over there, you fool. (laughs) I don't care about you. I'm going to use you and abuse you until finally I dispose of you. And people go, yes, master. It's sick. But this is the world we live in. The world needs Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. If you haven't committed your life to Christ, commit your life to Christ. Time is running out. Instead of trying to find some inconsistency in the Lord, you know, his behavior, his actions, his words, instead of playing the devil's advocate all the time, citing on the devil's side, Rather than just saying, help me, Lord, to see things from a biblical perspective. Tracy got a call from her sister yesterday, and one of her sons uh, is uh, on the streets, addicted. But tomorrow, um, he's supposed to get into a detox and then a rehab And I'll tell you, you know, he's been on the streets in Ventura for many years, and we're praying. Would you pray with us for him? His name is Dawson, and we pray for his salvation. That's how we approach things. We don't ever pray, Lord, get people off of drugs or alcohol. I mean, you know, that's kind of there, and, you know, that needs to go in order. But it's, Lord, save them. Lord, save them. Lord, save them. The Lord wants fruit. And we could bear fruit, abundant fruit, by simply abiding in Jesus. 
abiding in his word. Guys, if you just have a hard time in the word, tell him that. Lord, I have a hard time reading your word. Tell him. Lord, I could read a book, I could read a novel in a day, you know, or whatever, but when I sit down to read your word and I fall asleep. And, and confess that to the Lord. Lord, would you help me? You know, when I became a Christian, my prayer was, Lord, if you teach me how to read, I made it through school, I made it through high school, I made it through, you know, <laughs> two times in college. And I could barely read. I said, Lord, you teach me how to read, and I will I will read your word. I will love your word. And apparently the Lord said, Yeah, I could do that. I'm not the sharpest guy, but I'll tell you, I find peace in his word. It's like a river that flows, and we live in a world of anxiety. So would you stand with me, please? You guys come forward. Father, would you please, we sang it at the first part of the service, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Lord, we recognize the ministry of your spirit dwelling in, empowering, coming upon us with that dunamis power, changing our hearts, sanctifying us, changing our minds, Washing our minds. And we pray, Holy Spirit, would you please fall afresh upon us here in this room, Lord? We, we admit we need you, Lord. We need you. I pray especially for those that just struggle. Maybe they struggle with reading. Maybe it's not that they don't know how to read, but the, just the fact that it's reading your word. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's coming to church. Just pray, Father, that you would change hearts. Pray for those who have resisted you. They've come up with so many excuses, and they're running out of excuses. Thank you for that, Lord. And we pray, Father, that today would be the day that they surrender and just say, Lord, I, I, I need you. I've, I've tried everything else. I've not honestly ever, ever committed my life to you without something else in the way. So Lord, would you do a work? There's so few of us here, but there doesn't need to be a great multitude. We pray that you would move now in Jesus' name. Amen.